Welcome to the only show dedicated to a new way of delivering healthcare. This new model has no name, but let's go ahead and call it direct contracting or digital first care. The new way centers on opting out of the games bigs play with their rigged dice, their crooked game board, and their purchased referees. And if you're looking for a future where everyone wins, that's the doc, the consumer, the employer, and with assured amazing outcomes and measurably lower costs that are ranging up to 60%, you're in the right place. I'm Ron Barshop, your host. I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the new healthcare economy. One of my favorite quotes of doing this show now for two and a half years is this one from Dutch Rojas, who's with one of our guests and a Santa Surgery CEO. If a family has a thousand in savings and $4,500 deductible, is it even insurance anymore? America is an hourly worker economy, and over half of us make under $15 an hour if Goldman Sachs is right. And about two thirds of us say that we're one medical bill away from ruin. So these are what I call the functionally uninsured. We hear a lot about 30 million that are uninsured. The functionally uninsured are a lot bigger population. And I'm counting that between 130 and 150 million Americans that are priced out of the treehouse of care. So these are good people and they're the backbone of every industry we can think of, yet they see healthcare as a fancy treehouse with no ladder up. It's a place for the rich to go see their white coats and afford their fancy meds and who keep their kids out of those yucky Medicaid clinics. It's a country club with no cost-effective way in ever. And that's why retail cash clinics are okay. It's a ladder into that treehouse, and why direct contracting by their employers is so beautiful and elegant. It's now dock workers treated on the same red carpet as the CEO. It's another ladder up. They have a nurse one click away, an hour with a dock, no wait, a therapist, both physical and mental therapists are part of this model increasingly. And my favorite part of free care paid by self-insured employers is a dividend we rarely hear about. And is that each worker that's single got a $500 a month raise because their premiums went away. Or if they're a family, the average is about $1,500 a month raise for a typical family. Because again, again deductibles, premiums, co-pays all disappear with direct contracted care. Now that is a credit card payoff for the first time for some families or a much nicer place, or a better school district, or a first vacation ever, ever. The American dream is now restored for tens of millions of people who got their first real raise in 20 years because healthcare costs have stolen every other raise since the 1990s, when deductibles and premiums started soaring. We call it risk shifting in ivory towers, but it's stolen wage increases if you're on the street. So think of this like a stimulus. The ripple effect of a stimulus, they say, is 2x. Uh, if we were to give everybody a handout for $1,000. So you take $1,000 savings or $1,000 a month, that's a $24 million local impact. If we take the recent Brookings Institute number of $1,400 a month average premium the Americans pay, it's a local stimulus of $35 million for every 1,000 employees that are indirect contracted in digital care. And there's a lot more than 1,000. It's 25 to 30 million. So that's all pretty cool stuff. So this new subscription model is a movement where everyone wins and has these big, multiple, big dividends. Some employers are also saving big and adding to better benefits as a retention tool, like our guest, 
Cole Johnson to PJD Drywall. His turnover dropped, his workers' comp dropped ridiculously, and he uses it as an attraction and retention tool. And attraction tools are real when you offer free healthcare like I do. We just featured Dr. Juliet Breeze last week. Her 520 urgent care employees love that they have free healthcare and cite it as a reason they stick around. Some maternal companies like Rosen Hotels and Resorts, another two-time guest, has found $425 million in found savings, what I call buried treasure, through their healthcare spend being reduced by offering direct care. And since 1994, that hotel chain, well, it's basically surrounding the convention center in Orlando, has grown debt-free and is nobly turning a former crime and gang hotspot around in a miracle crime-free zone. Because every high school senior gets free college, whether it's Harvard or the local college, they get a full ride if they live in that Tangelo Park. Tangelo Park now has college matriculation rates equal to the top tier wealthy neighborhoods in America. No gangs, negligible crime. They have hope. Direct contracting, digital first care, subscription-based care, next-gen care, healthcare 3.0, whatever you want to call it. Our guest today has a new name she's going to try out on y'all and see what y'all think. Doesn't have a name, so it's nameable. But it's 25 to 30 million consumers strong just on the guests that have been on this show. Does it work? Is it real? Well, the early adopters are companies you may have heard of. Maybe you've heard of Apple, Facebook, LinkedIn, Intuit, Amazon, and Google. I've heard of them. And thousands more early adopters like me. And Wall Street has discovered it between One Medical, which went public last year, and Babylon Health, which is going public this month. Bypassing the bigs, we employers and docs and consumers all get what we want. Consumer-centric care, finally, versus transaction-centric care. It's an unstoppable future, and it's where we're all going to win. Today's guest, Dr. Paula Muto, is a vascular surgeon who is in all 50 states with her platform, UberDoc. She is gathering what is now 4,000 specialists, but I can see this much larger, and employers under one tent to participate in this new model. Welcome to the movement, Paula, and welcome to the show. So, yeah. So do you have any comments on the uh, what I just said? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so thank you, first of all, for having me. It's a, really a, quite an honor to be here um, and to join this conversation. Um, absolutely. I mean, the way you have you talked about where those savings, what those savings actually mean. Um, you know, I always talk about that healthcare dollar, it's precious. Why do we need to squander it? Uh, you know, it's a limited healthcare dollar. Uh, the very fact that you can eliminate so much of expenses by going direct pay, eliminating all those middle steps involved that have no value, no value for the physician, no value for the patient. Uh, it, and, it, and because of technology, we don't have to take those steps. And, and when it translates into the kind of savings you're talking about, that could be those college tuitions, it <laughs> could be those mortgage payments. I think that's, that, that's real. That's bringing it where, that's bringing it home to, under, to the understanding level where everyone is going to benefit. So I am all for um, when we, we've moved into this direct pay world, um, absolutely, this is where physicians need to be. Cash pay meds, cash pay labs, cash pay uh, imaging, cash pay docs, cash pay surgeons like you and your husband. Um, you take a different rate. Now, the average listener is going to be pretty sophisticated because they've been listening to the show for a while, but most Americans don't know that docs have two rates. They have the insurance rate that they bill out, 
And then they have their cash pay rates, which is going to be substantially less. Is that correct? Yes. And I'm going to say that doctors don't know. The majority of physicians, especially specialists, have no idea what their direct pay rate is. Unless you are running your own practice and you actually do all the billing and the collecting, um, you don't have an idea. You, when you come out of training um, and now they give you a, a charge master in front of you, you say, oh, I did this case, it codes this CPT code, and then next to it is, is an amount. Uh, or you push the button and you see an amount pop up and you're like, wow, that's my fee schedule. People aren't always aware that that fee schedule is set at two and a half times Medicare at the minimum. And now with so many doctors being employed, they have no idea. They actually think that's what they're collecting. Uh, and I think that that deception that started off very early in our world, and I'm not exactly sure how it all came about, um, makes it very unclear. And many physicians are not aware of what their cash pay, what, what if a patient came into the office and said, I would like to not use my insurance, I have a high deductible, what is it gonna cost me? The answer is always, I don't know. It depends on your insurance. <laughs> there is no answer. So how do you get people under a tent called UberDoc that allows them to accept direct contracts with either employers or with uh, individuals and know what to charge? So we did something simple. We said, okay, um, no one wants to talk about it, but let's do this. What if we decided to use technology and let patients make appointments with specialists, with doctors. And, I, and specialists include specialists of neurosurgery as well as internal medicine and pediatrics. You know, that's everybody's a specialist uh, who are physicians. So when they wanna make an appointment, they push a button, make an appointment, and they're going to pay a transparent price. And we set that price at a reference point price, which is basically 1.25 Medicare. Um, and that's the, the amount that the patient is going to know that they're going to pay. And that's the amount the patient, the doctor is going to receive when they see the patient and it's an immediate payment. So we asked our doctors to take a direct pay less than what they would get from a commercial insurance, but above Medicare to be legal and they don't have to retrieve any of that money. So when we went to our doctors and said, would you take a patient for cash? Uh, and even though it's less money than you'd get from insurance, they universally said, absolutely. And then they gave me a seat in their waiting room. And our goal with UberDoc is to invite every doctor to lend, give me a couple of seats in their waiting room that they will put aside for a direct pay patient understanding that these, this group of individuals are, more, are becoming more and more frequent and that you have to offer your patients not just the convenience of access, but the transparent price. And so that's what we did. We came up with the answer for the doctors. They join UberDoc. Uh, they can set their own price. There is dynamic pricing, but our, most of our doctors who join take the price that we offer, which is $250 for a visit. You know, if I, if I think about primary care, which I know better than vascular, I don't know it at all. The average doc that's independent is gonna have seven to eight, maybe nine MAs that are mostly transaction clerks. They're not really dealing with the patient at all. They're dealing with EHR, with uh, prior authorizations. They're dealing with data entry. They're putting, uh, you know, referrals together. It's not a, uh, they actually never meet the patient. They never see the patient. So um, they go to this medical assistant training and then they're getting into, you know, insurance billing. Uh, 
I don't know if your office is the same, but if you can just eliminate those people from needing to do anything by a cash pay patient for 250 bucks, it all drops to the bottom line. There's no overhead with that, really. That's exactly. I mean, I have been running an office for over 20 years. And, um, and I have a brother, I have one brother who's a surgeon. And I have another brother who actually um, is an IT specialist who deals with implementation of electronic records in offices. So he's in offices all the time and understands their workflow. When we built UberDoc, we built it understanding how office workflow works and who the end users are when it comes to technology and how an appointment is actually made and how a patient is processed through the system. So we set our, um, we created our interface at the level of a fourth grader for both the doctor and the patient so that no one has to do anything other than a thumbs up emoji to accept a point, an appointment request from a patient. There's nothing else. We, we took away everything else. All of the payment is handled behind the scenes. It's just like uh, the patients create what they call a Stripe account, which is like any financial account. Like when you order on Amazon, you put in your credit card and that's your account. We've made it that easy on the patient side, that easy on the doctor side. So that medical assistant at the window only has to put the patient's name and address into the electronic record for the doctor to dictate, you know, so that there's a record of the patient, but does not need the 15 digit nuclear code or any of the other information that you have to gather um, in order to bill insurance. Okay, so now they've come to see Paula and they pay their 250 bucks and you now have evaluated and clearly they need uh, surgery, some kind of vascular surgery. So, How do you build so them next? This, what happens next in your journey? So what happens next is what ha would have happened before in the set if you needed a referral. At that point, you say to the patient, do you want to continue to proceed through uh, a, you know, a cash model or would you like to use your insurance? And if they say, well, I'd like to use my insurance because the cost is going to be higher uh, you know, beyond or they, have a high, uh, they, they perhaps have a low deductible or they've reached their deductible, Subsequent care is between the patient and the doctor and however it works best for them. Because it is hard to sometimes say, I need, I have gallstones, I need to see a surgeon. Now I'm in the office, I see a surgeon um, and now you need your gallbladder. It's not so easy to coordinate all of those other at those other levels um, and they can use their insurance. However, we have orthopedics on our platform that say you need an x-ray. They already have the person who does the x-ray. The x-ray is digital. They already pay that person. Um, it costs them more to bill that x-ray than to get the $12 that they're going to get from reading that x-ray. So they just bundle that x-ray in with that UberDoc visit. So that's what we're seeing more and more is that the specialists just are trying to finish the workup of the patient as best as possible because they're already getting payment for the visit and they don't have to add all those accessory items that get added on to reach a better um, billing interface. If you know what I mean, you yeah. know, the upsell. Well, so is that orthoscopic surgery, is that posted somewhere where I can see it so I know what I'm getting into? So, so we do encourage our doctors and more and more of them now, especially since the orthopedics have have left, left the building, right? They've moved into their surgery centers now pretty much everywhere. Um, those prices are much more accessible to them. Um, we still are in the infancy stage of bringing specialists to the direct pay world. I mean, the internists have been there much longer in the DPC model, but even some of the, you know, the majority of internists are still and, and family practitioners and pediatricians 
there's many people that are still not embracing direct pay um, and understand that. So we do have uh, understand that the majority of our physicians don't always understand what price transparency means. And they don't always understand when they order a test or a CAT scan or whatever it is that there's an authorization, there's a referral and there's a deductible, right? They don't understand all those steps. More and more doctors are, but we're not there yet. So we do that first step. We get that patient in for that direct pay patient. The, 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 the specialist is very happy to have a new patient. Um, they proceed further. Maybe it's just another visit. Maybe it's an injection. Maybe it's just a one-off. Maybe it's, hey, you don't need, you don't have a hernia. You don't need surgery or your legs are fine. <laughs> uh, you know, and they, and the recommendation may not require any intervention. Um, but the, the, per, the, purpose with UberDoc is the, the first step, right? We can bring all doctors easily without any obstruction to that first step. Now, second, third, and fourth step, that's, the, that's what our challenge will become next. But if the consumers understand it and the doctors understand that first step, I think those other steps will, will come naturally. Well, I, I like your strategy of build it and they will come because what you're doing is you're building a network that's a narrow network basically. And it's allowing employers to come find you and tap into your uh, network so that they can get these better prices. What, what are you doing? Uh, well, let's say this, what are you expecting this to look like in three years term in terms of how many docs are under your umbrella? So, so we have had such rapid growth from the physicians um, that we fully expect to have, you know, you know, we are, we are close to over 4,000. We'll probably have 10,000 or more physicians. You know, how many physicians are in the country, right? There's 980,000 of us, yeah. I think. And um, half of them, 500,000 are specialists, you know, 70% are employed. However, 75% of practices are independently owned which I find really fascinating, mm. right? The 30% of doctors actually, 30% of physicians actually own 75% of the practices. Mm. Okay, I didn't know that. I thought it was the other that, way around. That just, that was, isn't that interesting? Yeah. No, that's, just, Becker's just re reported those two interesting statistics. And it's kind of like small business. Like who are the biggest employers in this country? You think, oh, is it Walmart? Is it Amazon? Well, actually no, small businesses employ more people than, than large businesses. Yeah. You know, I think I was told that the um, independent docs are hit over under 50% for the first time last year, which would digress from your numbers. But I've also, you know, when you study primary care, it's way less than half or owned about 30% of primary care is owned independently. The vast majority of it is owned by the bigs, the systems. The bigs, yeah. yes. But but it's still, I was I was surprised by that too, that so only only 25% of practices are owned. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and yeah. so, um, but but at any rate, those 30% of doctors obviously are the, our sweet spot, yeah. those independents who, uh, or who want to kind of, you know, go into this. I mean, we're in a transition, right? We're in a watershed moment. Yeah. We, all of a sudden digital healthcare is here and suddenly, a doctor can really create a whole new examining, mm -hmm. you know, a whole new practice model through digital health. Mm -hmm. And does that doctor have to work for Teladoc and get $20? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or can that doctor work for themselves yes. and through UberDoc make $200? Yes. Could they offer their patients? Can we keep doctors in practice independently? You're seeing this with psychiatry, right? Psychiatry is just exploded. Yes. 
um, because um, they're, they tend to be more in a cash model anyways, because many people do not like to use their insurance when they go to seek behavioral health or mental health issues. They don't want their employer to see that. Um, and then the psychiatrists have always had offices where they've had to employ a number of people because of security issues, you know, especially female psychiatrists couldn't really be in a room with a patient alone. You know, there was always that concern. Now you have this whole new world opening up of, you know, digital health and those virtual visits and, um, and virtual offices. And you could have um, retired doctors, you could have ER physicians, um, you know, working on their, on their off hours doing, doing you know, visits. Um, you know, you just think about the potential for physicians to become independent again, work for themselves, um, and in these new models. And why do you need a middleman for that? Yeah. So what we're seeing is, of course, those doctors that are um, slave doc, I should say, slave, that are enslaved in institutions um, and um, big institutions. I have a brother who's at Dana-Farber um, and, you know, big cancer center. And, um, you know, they really discourage telemedicine. And he's like, what are you talking about? I love telemedicine. I connect with my patients. They don't have to come to Boston, park their car, you know, um, you know, cancer appointments because of timing, you know, and they really want to talk to him and he loves it. But there, if you think about it, the institution doesn't see the facility charge and doesn't see the upsell. There's a lot of small towns in Texas that have no more independent docs at all. Waco and Temple come to mind, but there's also outliers outside of Houston and Dallas that have zero independent docs. I was told Boston has basically zero independent docs now. Is that true? Well, actually, the specialists have remained fairly. Okay. Heavy. Again, you look at specialty groups, they tend to be more independent. Okay. General surgeons know they're mostly employed because they're now kind of hospital based. Yep. Uh, but yes, internal medicine doctors have all, you know, it, we have big networks here where people make alliances and they change those excuse me, those change those alliances almost all the time. It's like, you know, your, your patient, your, your primary care that refers you a patient used to be a Yankee fan. Now they're a Red Sox fan. You got to change the stadium they go to. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, and it's always a penalty, no matter what, there's always a penalty. So it really has wreaked havoc with um, the way patients should be accessing the system. It's one of the reasons I created UberDoc was to transcend the networks, um, unshackle patients and unshackle doctors from these I will say tribal uh, type uh, patterns and just focus on what's best for the patient. And so when you take away the insurance, when you take away the middleman, when you take away the fact, uh, all this, all this distraction that you are suddenly just working for the patient again, yeah. that's, it's the only the patient that matters in front of you. Um, and, um, and they will make it always the doctors will make better decision for that patient a hundred percent of the time. Love it. Um, you know, when they work for someone else, they have to put those that they have to put those um, priorities ahead of the patient. Um, um, so let's talk about, you want to rename direct this direct contracting. You have a really cute name for it. I loved it. A DPO. It's like, I have an HMO, a PPO. How about a DPO? Direct pay option. This wonderful, you know, the DPC world has always been direct primary care. Why don't we make that more generic, more universal and say direct pay option? Yeah, I love it. There's a, a, Becker's has an article this morning about cash pay meds. And I thought, you know, that's actually not a bad name for what they're doing when you're buying, you know, direct is but you, uh, DPO sounds like a really good contender. DPO, I love it's it. very official. I like it. <laughs> well, and, and the, the, what doctors don't like about DPO is it's too turned to actional because it's really not, it's like direct care is what it is, but it's 
how it's paid for that makes it amazing. But we don't sell it to the doctors like that. They say, do you take Medicare? Yes. Do you take Medicaid? Yes. Do you take HMOs? Yes. Or do you have DPO? What? I know. Are you a DPO provider? What does that mean? Well, well, how do you become a DPO provider? Well, are you an UberDoc participating provider? Yeah. Is that UberDoc symbol in your window? Are you a D are you do you are you participating in a DPO? That's the conversation. And doctors will say, oh my gosh, they'll go right to their office manager and say, make sure I'm signed up for that. You no, know, it's it's it needs a name, this movement, because without a name, we don't have any academics studying it. We don't you can't Google it. You can't really um, study it. You can't research it. It's not, there's not a natural like place where they all gather and they like, we don't have an association. So there's no way to really get together and actually share best practices of what's working in the DPO world. It's, we should, like there's a giant opening for somebody smart to step in and do that, but it's not happening or it hasn't happened because it's so new, but it's also so exciting that it's uh, going to happen, I think. It's, I mean, it's just logical. I mean, I think of it in a very simplistic way. You know, you need to have a cash lane. You know, you're at the supermarket, you take credit card in this lane, you take cash in this yeah. lane. A supermarket that doesn't take cash won't be as successful, right? You have to have a cash pay option. Yeah. And I think in healthcare, we have to be brave and just offer that option. And when we make it something that is um, under, that is, you know, natural that employers use that patients know about, um, doctors will absolutely capitulate. And, and so strangely enough, you know, this will be driven by the consumer, yes. the independent doctors, as usual, we always bring the technology to the forefront, right? We are the innovators, right? Uh, even in the operating room, a lot of the best techniques didn't start downtown. They start in the community, right? Um, so we bring this out there the late adopters will be those big networks that will be like, why are we missing out? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, why wouldn't they want to take a direct pay patient? Why would you say, stop them at the door? You have to, you know, climb across that bridge, fight the people at the gate, go over the moat with the alligators, climb up the tower to meet the specialist or the doctor, right? And I guess I can't tell like, you how much fun it is talking to you. I mean, I, to meet another person in this movement that gets it and completely understands how simple this is and how beautiful it is and how elegant. Um, I do have to tell you a Boston story before we sign off, but I'm really glad you got DPO out there for the uh, universe to contemplate. But um, my son is now at Beth Israel doing his final year of fellowship as a gastro. And he's at the same hospital that my great grandfather was the administrator of. Now they didn't call him CEOs back in the twenties, but he was the administrator there for a couple of decades. And so his, until last year, his, face was hanging on the wall with a bunch of old white men that have died a long time ago. But isn't that cool that my son is living and working every day at a hospital that yeah. my, his great grand, great, great grandfather but the, ran. But that's the legacy, right? Yeah. Because that's, I mean, my dad was a great surgeon. My brother and I became surgeons. I have two uncles that are surgeons. I married a surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're all in service. We all absolutely are passionate about what we do. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, our currency is not uh, is not, you know, it's not reimbursement. Our currency is solving problems and cases. Doctors are always value themselves by the case. I think, I think of y'all as crime scene investigators got to walk in, they lay it out. You say, okay, there's where the crime scene probably is, but maybe I'll run this blood test to make sure I'm right. And oh, it's not that it's this rare, cool other thing. And it should be an episode on house. <laughs> you know, I think that's one of the reasons why UberDoc has had such massive adoption is that we strike the core of why people become doctors. Yeah. It isn't about money. It is about just access to patients who need them. Yeah. 
Um, and that's what we've done. We've simplified access. We've, I'd like to say we've democratized access to care. You don't need to be in that fancy treehouse with no ladder up. Yes. I think that's a really good way of saying it. I think anyone anywhere should have equal access to the best. They shouldn't have the right employer. They shouldn't have the right amount of money. They shouldn't have the right connections. I think anyone has access when it comes to your health. It's an equal opportunity. And physicians understand that. And patients need that. And that's where the, that's why UberDoc was found. Well, if I, if you listen to my past episodes, I always ask what banner would you fly over America? You just basically said it, democratize health, <laughs> democratize, democratize access. Health. Absolutely. Yeah. Democratize yeah. access. Enough of the nonsense. Yeah. Let the physicians do what we're trained to do. UberDocs.com. Um, and if people want to reach you, Paula, what's the best way to find you at UberDocs? Oh, it's easy. Paula at uber-docs.com. Um, I'm easy to access, um, you know, and they can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty much everywhere. And I'm always happy to speak to any physician out there. And I do encourage and invite every doctor in every group in every corner of the United States to join UberDoc. It doesn't cost anything to join. Give me one seat in your waiting room and you will appear in perpetuity. I want to, I want to clarify that Uber does not reflect the transportation company. It reflects no, the- No, no, we are trademarked. We are yeah. separate. We have nothing to do with transportation. We use the word uber because it's universally available universally it's it's you know it, it means above yeah we're not average doctors there again we're not mid-levels we're all physicians that are trained credentialed licensed and experienced i like to think everyone on my platform is over 35 yeah yeah they're they're <laughs> uber meaning super are outstanding super yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Outstanding, super doc, and also universal. Their concept that it's available where there's, there's, there's always an Uber doc available, always in perpetuity. Okay, well, I can tell that we're going to want to bring you back when you have your 10,000 anniversary of docs. And so uh, <laughs> thank you for the movement and thank you for joining our show. Oh, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up. There's two things you can do for us. One, Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.